welcome to this all-new episode of Close Talking. I am co-host Jack Rossiter-Munley. Remember, you can subscribe to the podcast on the iTunes Store or find it on Stitcher or SoundCloud. It's been a rough couple of weeks, but in the spirit of the Women's March on Washington, the tweets of 100% certified heroes at the National Park Service, the spirit of Leslie Nope is clearly strong with them, and innumerable other acts of resistance, large and small, Connor and I offer our conversation about a poem that celebrates resistors, The Kids Who Die by Langston Hughes. talking i've basically been just talking and you've been talking (laughs) and we're so close to each other it's almost like it's another episode of close Close. talking oh my god here we are ladies and ladies (laughs) and gentlemen if you're listening you're also welcome to to access the podcast uh welcome to another episode of close talking with connor mcnamara stratton and jack rossiter munley we are here to talk about a poem together. Yep. Connor is an MFA student at the University of Minnesota. Jack is a freelance writer in New York City, Staten Island to be specific, although sometimes he ventures into Manhattan. Just a ferry ride away. Love Staten Island. I've been here only once, which is right now. So far, so good. Excellent. Uh, the poem that we're doing today is called Kids Who Die by Langston Hughes. So I'm going to read it. It's about as long as poems for this podcast get, so don't be terrified that it's a little lengthy. This is for the kids who die, black and white, for kids who die certainly. The old and rich will live on a while, as always, eating blood and gold, letting kids die. Kids will die in the swamps of Mississippi, organizing sharecroppers. Kids will die in the streets of Chicago organizing workers. Kids will die in the orange groves of California telling others to get together. Whites and Filipinos, Negroes and Mexicans, all kinds of kids will die, who don't believe in lies and bribes and contentment and a lousy peace. Of course, the wise and learned, who pen editorials in the papers, and the gentlemen with doctor in front of their names, white and black, who make surveys and write books, will live on weaving words to smother the kids who die. In the sleazy courts, and the bribe-reaching police, and the blood-loving generals, and the money-loving preachers will all raise their hands against the kids who die, beating them with laws and clubs and bayonets and bullets to frighten the people. For the kids who die are like iron in the blood of the people and the old and rich don't want the people to taste the iron of the kids who die. Don't want the people to get wise to their own power, to believe in Angelo Herndon, or even get together. Listen, kids who die. Maybe now there will be no monument for you, except in our hearts. Maybe your bodies will be lost in a swamp, or a prison grave, or the potter's field, or the rivers where you're drowned like Liebknecht. But the day will come. You are sure yourselves that it is coming. 
when the marching feet of the masses will rise for you a living monument of love and joy and laughter and black hands and white hands clasped as one and a song that reaches the sky, the song of the life triumphant through the kids who die. Damn, thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, so this was a poem you picked. I did pick this poem. Quickly, there are two people mentioned in the poem. Angelo Herndon. Yeah. He was a labor organizer. Um, this poem was written in 1938. And in the recent past, 1932, he had gotten into all kinds of legal trouble for trying to organize um, black and white workers to go on strike. Like coal workers? Yeah, I, mean, I think it was coal workers. I'm not sure. Not positive. Um, but it was industrial workers of some sort that he was organizing. And he got into a lot of trouble for it. So as there is black and white imagery in the poem, I think there's probably some inspiration for it out of the, mm -hmm. the trouble that he got into for all of that. Uh, and then Liebknecht is a German socialist who helped start the German Socialist Party who uh, was killed and thrown in a river for his political beliefs. And Herndon did it under the guise of like the Communist Party, right? Right, So yeah. there's two sort of political connections there. Right. Um, yeah, I was reading about Herndon and that the case, the two cases, or the one case, basically, when he got arrested, he appealed, because he, he got arrested for inciting an insurrection. Right. Which is what the, the law Heavy was. Heavy language. Yeah. And uh, they were trying to give him the death penalty, I think, for doing that. Yes. Uh, and it went all the way up to the Supreme Court, and the first time... Supreme Court ruled against him for basically technicalities that he hadn't filed in time or something like that. Um, and then he appealed again, uh, basically saying that the the law itself that he had allegedly broken was like unconstitutional, that it was too vague and basically a dragnet for just to get people who they didn't like. Right, right. Uh, and that one did win when it went all the way up to Supreme Court and eventually won. Um, anyway, it's interesting. It's very interesting. Um, yeah, it's an interesting history. And as you're knowing, like they, it was an instance where he has very much had his life on the line for years on end while these yeah. cases are being litigated through yeah. the courts. Um, mm -hmm. And that tension between the willingness to do these sort of more radical acts and to die for your cause and the importance of that sort of dedication to a cause against all of these entrenched means of stifling it mm -hmm. you have to be willing to die for your cause for a yeah. lot of years it's yeah. not like you're going to make one big action it's not like john brown going out and doing a suicide raid against slavery yeah it's like years and years and years of knowing that you might get sentenced to death because yeah. of what you were willing to do right like, that's oh, a very know. different kind of yeah yeah and i think after the, the case ended he got out he sort of retreated from the public eye, if I remember. I think he died in, like, 97. Yes. Um, and he just moved moved uh, to the Northeast, I think. It was, like, a salesman or something. Yeah. Um, but anyway, very interesting character. Yeah, he's a fascinating guy. Yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think this is a great poem. I had not read it before. Um, I noticed that it has, um, it has, even though it was um, written in 38, it has obvious resonance to the contemporary moment um, with all the police shootings of young black youth 
mm-hmm. um, and has I've noticed when I Google searched it that a lot of there's been a lot of like clickbaity Huffington Post like this is the one poem you need to read that says everything about police brutality or you something won't like believe that. what Langston Hughes wrote about in yeah. 1938 yeah. yeah five reasons why this is the poem you have to read yeah yeah <laughs> Which I agree with the sentiment, although their headlines are a bit, you know. Yeah, so I partially picked this because in addition to really fitting in terms of subject matter, kids who die making social change, yeah. the sentiment of the poem of change against establishment yeah. is one that I think is really prevalent beyond just African-American youth and the police. It's the entire story of the 2016 election. Mm. It's outsiders and people who are angry at the establishment Mm -hmm. against insiders and those who are the establishment. So you have Trump versus everybody else who ran for the GOP nomination. Cruz tried to get on the outsider and Carson tried to get on the outsider train. But for the most part, it was a lot of establishment candidates and Trump. Mm -hmm. And then on the Democratic side, you have Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders. Right. And to me, a lot of the rhetoric that's put together against the choice of Hillary Clinton or the choice of, you know, any more establishing candidate is really what's written out in this poem. It's saying yeah. that, like, all of these power structures are built to try and hold down the forces of change and to hold down right. the voices of those who are being activists. And I think there's a lot of that, particularly yeah. on the Democratic side. Yeah, yeah. Um, the old and rich will live on a while as always eating blood and gold letting kids die right. and uh, all kinds of kids will die who don't believe in lies and bribes and contentment and a lousy peace right. um, yeah. yeah and that contentment totally. really is what's the yeah. enemy of this entire poem is the idea that you're for some reason and Hughes just cannot fathom why you are okay with the way the world is mm-hmm. because this is his way of memorializing kids who die for their causes mm-hmm. and really just saying that these causes are what's important this change is what's important like mm-hmm. it's not about you know being okay with the way things are or yeah. being okay with slow progress we need this kind of radical yeah 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 and it's it's um yeah it's cool to bring in um the election too because i mean this Hughes definitely has a uh, international scope here. I mean, kids will die in the swamps of Mississippi, in the streets of Chicago, in the orange groves of California, um, and he's referencing Herndon, but he also is referencing Liebknecht, uh, who's not, I mean, that's the one international reference, but mm-hmm. it's, it's very, very wide-reaching um, in terms of, like, subject matter right and in terms of the touchstones he's reaching for he's mm-hmm. talking about this sort of international yeah idea and he puts it specifically to types of organization going on within the united states yeah. the systems he's talking about could be anywhere police generals preachers right. courts you know they could be any country but it's pretty clear that he's going after I, it seems to me that he's really trying to go after what's happening in the united yeah, states but the idea is yeah if you are really going to put some power behind these kids who die those systems that are oppressing everybody are going to start falling and that we need to listen to these kids and value what they're doing yeah um yeah it's so the poem is broken up into four sort of moderately sized chunks Mm -hmm. stanzas i guess um yeah 
you know, chunks Getting real great. official with the, <laughs> the terminology. Yeah, there's a couple of poem chunks in here. <laughs> I like chunk. Chunks are good. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, there's there's four sense. stanzas in the poem. Um, the first one, I guess, is sort of setting up the juxtaposition, saying who the poem is for and who it's against. So this poem is for the kids who die, and then immediately after saying who they are and that they're going to die, it talks about the old and rich who are yeah. going to have blood and gold. Then it gets into some specifics about where these kids die and what they're doing when that happens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then it talks in more detail. So taking those two parts of the first one, the next stanza is about the first part, the kids who are going to die. The third, people, right, yeah. they're organizing and they're doing it in the, for these specific reasons in these specific areas to address specific injustices mm-hmm. and that their message is one of inclusion and togetherness. They want whites and Filipinos and Negroes and Mexicans. All these kinds of kids can die and they believe in getting everybody together and they're against the contentment and the status quo. Yeah. Then you've got your third stanza and that's about, you know, on one hand, the intellectual class either yeah. on the left or the right, they're just going to write and write and write, and they're yeah. going to say all these pretty words, and they're going to sit in their ivory towers yeah. or their you know elite liberal cities, and they're yeah. just going to be like, I know, change is going to come. Calm down, everybody. Yeah. We got this. Yeah. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and the systems they put in place are going to keep these kids down. So that's sort of naming and giving more description to the old and the rich. That's really right. digging down on right. who is keeping this change at bay. And then the final stanza, he's directly addressing the kids who die. And it's sort of an inspirational message and it's a message of affirmation. Your work is worthy. You know, you're not getting your reward now, but the reward isn't about now. It's about what you will bring, about the change you can bring and the value of your life and in some ways the value of your death. Yeah. Yeah, and it's cool because like it begins like, listen, kids, and Hughes sort of addresses them. But then there's this moment where he says, but the day will come, you are sure yourselves that it is coming. And I I love that line because yeah. it's kind of like, it it begins as it could be uh, a, presumpt- a presumptuous, sort of like talking down to kids, I don't know, as or right. whatever. Um, but in, in that moment, it, it acknowledges all of the... Um, knowledge and awareness that that these kids have already um and i don't know i just i like that he's like you are sure yourselves that it is coming he's like i don't i don't need to tell you really (laughs) right yeah i think that's so cool and it acknowledges both the fact that they are optimistic Mm -hmm. and he's essentially just reaffirming that optimism and Mm -hmm. the value of their viewpoint um it reminds me of the line in Bob Dylan's Masters of War where he says, you might say that I'm young, you might say I'm unlearned. There's one thing I know, though I'm younger than you, even Jesus would never forgive what you do. Uh, and so it's line. just like yeah. the whole anti-war movement at the time, like all these people are like, oh, you kids, you're so radical yeah. and you've got all these ideas and yeah. you're shutting down the universities. <laughs> my, my, what chutzpah. Yeah. But we are in this war to contain the grand threat of communism. Yeah. Just don't worry about it and go back to being young and idealistic and read yeah. some more books and wait until you have a mortgage and then you'll understand. Right. Uh, and, you know, to some extent, this has got a similar message. You're just mm-hmm. like, hey, these kids know what's up. Yeah. Back off, old rich people. Right. Right. Go back to court or whatever you do in your spare time. Yeah. Or smoke a pipe and yeah. listen to Beethoven. I know. No, it's probably too exciting. Listen to Brahms or... Mahler or something, I don't know. Haydn. Haydn. He's pretty yes. boring. 
he, he can be pretty well, boring. Well, I actually don't know that much height. That's neither here nor there. <laughs> yeah. The point is, these stuffy men listening to their hide and yeah. their Victrolas and yeah. you know, smoking a pipe while staring longingly out the window, thinking about the days when they rode velocipedes through the street. Mm-hmm. They're yeah. not who this poem is for, and it's not what they're about, right. and they need to just step aside and deal with it. Yeah, another one of my favorite lines in this poem is the in the third stanza about the wise and the learned... And it's like, uh, who make surveys and write books, who live on weaving words to smother the kids who die. I feel like that's, that's like a, just such a great um, image that indicts uh, these, you know, writers in the intellectual class um, and really like puts it on then. It's like, you're, you know, your words are smothering. And that I don't know, smothering is such a great. It's uh, a really great, great word. verb. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I love what I love is that in the beginning when he's talking about the kids, he talks about how the kids are white and black. Mm-hmm. Like he's acknowledging that there are white activists and black activists. Yeah. And in this part, when he's talking about all the people with doctor in front of their names, he says they're white and black too. Yeah. There's white intellectuals and black intellectuals yeah. who are holding this whole thing up yeah. with you know surveys and books and yeah. editorials yeah. and the meagerest forms of resistance because if you want to make change you need to get out in the street and put right. your life on the line right. and it's the easiest thing to do to sit back and write an editorial mm-hmm. right but that's not you don't have any you know you don't have any skin in the game you don't have a stake yeah. in what's going on you're yeah. just talking you already you're yeah. secure you're content with the status quo you're going to write about change but you don't need change and right. these kids Need yeah, change and believe in it in a right. way that they can't understand. No, he he calls everyone out. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, he really does. That's good. Um, yeah, because he he goes after. So what's also interesting is that the biggest part of his of the stanza that's about the people who are trying to stop the kids who die. Mm-hmm. The biggest part is reserved for intellectuals. Mm-hmm. Everybody else gets a single line. The intellectuals get six yeah. lines. Yeah. And it's all this stuff about the intellectuals, and then he goes, and the sleazy courts, and the bribe-reaching police, and the blood-loving generals, yeah. and the money-loving preachers. Right. Yeah, which is, yeah, it's, it's intense. Uh, I mean, he, he clearly knows his audience. He's, like, <laughs> going to be read by the intellectuals because he's an intellectual. Like, I mean, he's, That's a good point. He's a poet. He's a very good know, point. He's a writer, so he's, like, he's got a jab hardest where he'll be read. Right. Um, but also, he also has to critique those that feel like they are doing good in in a way that, um, I mean, obviously a preacher feels like he's doing good, but um, there is a, he, it does seem like Hughes senses a particular, particular righteousness within the intellectual class. And I think he almost plays to it by then listing all the other ones, because if I had to guess, who are you going to write not that about if you're interested in change, yeah. but you're not going out in the street like, oh, the courts are messed yeah. up, like, oh, police, oh, right. generals, oh, preachers. Right. Like, those are the subjects of these editorials. Yeah. So he, like, tears down the intellectuals, right. and then he butters them up a little bit. He's like, don't worry, like, everything else is still a problem, and you're not wrong. Mm-hmm. Like. Yeah, and the courts are an issue. They're pretty sleazy, and the police are taking bribes, yeah. and the generals, you know, they just want to kill stuff. And yeah. the preacher is like, 
just in it for the money. How righteous are those dudes? <laughs> uh, but like he he sort of puts that in very consciously after he's mm-hmm. savaged his readers. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Later in that stanza, I also really like the line uh, for the kids who die are like iron in the blood of the people. Yeah, I know. It's intense. That's a really intense and neat line, I think. Yeah. And I love the idea that the the idea, I guess, being the the iron in the blood is what makes it strong. Right. And that strength of the people as a collective, mm-hmm. we he's very intent on the idea that the people as a collective are only strong when united. Mm-hmm. That's sort of what he's getting at in terms mm-hmm. of what the kids who die can do. Yeah. And also just that passionate dedication to change is what makes the people as a right. concept a strong and powerful force right and the two people he name checks in the poem are two individuals who were very powerful in collecting people together mm-hmm. for a cause and as when they were young i think Herndon yes. was 19 when he started yes um yeah and i love that iron in the blood it's it's uh the problem is not whether the kids who die are already in the blood of the people. The problem is the old and the rich don't want them to taste the iron of the kids who die. It's like mm. it's like they're the kids are already part of the people. They're already in the blood, and what the old and the rich are preventing is the recognition of that fact, but not right. that fact itself. They don't, as the poem says, they don't want the people to get wise to their own yeah, power. Right. Right, mm. which I think is a key distinction that definitely yeah he uses killing right there. I mean, this whole poem is just so scathing. I know it's really. I mean, I, it, that's what's yeah. yeah. What's interesting to sorry, go ahead. No, no, no you, you're on to something. No, we're, we're not. <laughs> I don't know if I'm on to something, but what fascinates me in this poem is that it swings so wildly mm. and effectively, and feels like a unified tone in the poem, yeah. even though it switches from being a indictment yeah of all of these groups yeah. and then it switches on a dime it turns immediately from talking about all these kids who die and how they're being smothered in the iron and the blood of the people and then it addresses them in that yeah. last stanza and that's such a big turn yeah but it still all feels like the same poem it all has the same mm-hmm. you know quality to it even though yeah the way that he is describing things switches from railing against those who are keeping the kings down to building up the kids Right. And really talking straight to them. Right. Right. Yeah. I think that's a pretty masterful balancing act that he mm-hmm. does to contain all of that within the, the mm-hmm. single poem. Yeah. No, I completely agree. Unlike, just to think about this poem in the context of other ones we've talked about in other podcasts, um, in terms of s- sort of like the speaker relationship or the speaker um, in this one is unique in that it sort of feels like uh it it mostly closely resembles a speech in my head so you have you have like one you know visible unified speaker who's like there but the subject is not like a description of you know like what's around or like a narrative thing but it's kind of like it has sort of broad themes or like you know um, whereas uh, my Angelo still I rise, we have mm-hmm. we have a very similarly we have a speaker that's like sort of unified. You you sort of know who the speaker is, where they are. But in in the difference, 
there is, and the speaker is talking directly to this you. It's this intimate address, whereas this feels uh, super large. Uh, and um, yeah, and then with the Komenyaka uh, Urban Renewal, we have a sense that the speaker is observing and we sent we have a sense of where the speaker might be located in relation to this like renewal project industry destruction thing happening but we don't the poem feels less like uh an utterance that's happening rather than like a sort of record of description in some mm -hmm. ways like it's just like this is what's happening in the komenyaka poem um and but at the same time you feel like the poem is located in this one like you could put a like google map pin like on where you are whereas like this is kind of like there's no it's just the words are like out thundered in the uh blah 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 um which is sort of why you know something we talked about with i rise is that it gets used over and over again yeah. and there are res i think there's some resonance between this and i rise just in yeah, terms of absolutely really you know, the idea of these kids trying to rise up and Absolutely. the forces trying to keep them down. Yeah. Um, but one of the reasons that this poem comes out in the wake of police shootings of kids mm -hmm. who are dying is just the, the universality of it. Yeah. And there are specific incidents mentioned and there are specific activist mm -hmm. leaders and activist causes mentioned, but the, the thrust of the piece, and particularly that final stanza addressing the kids specifically, yeah. is a very universal message yeah. that really does carry it. Yeah. Yeah. Carry it onward. Yeah, and I think what makes it um, both universal but has that, I, I feel, is a sort of the devastating edge is the last line is like, well, it begins with uh, this is for the kids who die, black and white, for kids will die certainly. And that certainty is is awful, but he never lets go of the certainty. And I feel like there's a moment in the last stanza where I, as a reader, was like, maybe Hughes is gonna conclude that like once, you know, this change happens or whatever, the system is taken down, then the kids won't be dying or something. That's kind of like the thing. But the song, the, the poem ends, and a song that reaches the sky, the song of the life triumphant through the kids who die. It's like, there's never there's never an instance where there's the word kids where it's not followed by who die in this poem. Yeah, um, or will die. Or will die. So yeah, that the, de the, the determinism is just reiterated over and over yeah. again. And he even explicitly says, you know, you yourself know that change is coming, mm -hmm. but it's it's coming through death. Yeah. He, he makes sure to hit yeah. that over and over. Yeah. So that's like, it's like, it's pretty bleak. It's heavy. Um... But that, I think, is to Hughes' credit that, like, um, the last stanza does not turn into some sort of, like, naive fluff that's, like, but maybe it'll get better or whatever. It's, like, maybe it'll get better, but people are still going to be dying. Kids are still going to be dying. Um, so... The yeah. world will get better, but the specific means of that happening is never going to change. Yeah. Like, it's, in fact, necessary for the world yeah. to get better. Song of the life triumphant through the kids who die. Through is such a yeah. intense word there. Um, it's, not, it's not happening adjacent to kids dying. It's 
the song is is coming through the death of these kids. I don't want to be that guy. Uh-oh. But I'm going to be that guy for just a second because he happens to reference two communists and yeah, Marx. Yeah, existed. And <laughs> Bruce, wrote, can someone check Jack on that? Yeah, if any of you want to fact check, please let me know. I think Marx I think Marx was a real person. Uh, but anyway, Jurist Marx lab. heavily influenced by German philosopher Hegel. Uh, Hegel's big thing is the dialectic. So there's a thesis, there's an antithesis, oh. and through that there is a new thesis when they are resolved. Synthesis. There's the synthesis. And to me, at least, reading those last few lines, mm. and a song that reaches the sky, the song of the life triumphant, through the kids who die, Yeah, you have, to me, a yeah. hint at the dialectical progression of history, yeah. which is a very important component of Marx. I was just that guy. I said a lot of douchey stuff. <laughs> Everybody. Apologies, everyone, to our listener out there. <laughs> Please tune in next week. I promise not to mention anyone from Germany. Wow. I can't promise that. I promise not to mention douchey. Douchey Germans. Germans. Or not douchey Germans, but Germans... Who have become uh, the way he wrote? I think makes him a douche. Okay, I, I believe you. He's again. I'm gonna sound awful, but <laughs> Hegel is a terrible writer. He's wow. like willfully bad at getting his point across. Uh, the point being, I think the end of the poem. philosophy. <laughs> Bit of a doozy. <laughs> I'm sorry, uh, my cat wandered in. I think he's gonna fall. <laughs> I'm kidding, that was me. I think they could have, if they wrote in rhyming quatrains, there would be some more clarity there. I wonder if there's any money in us doing that for them. I would I would be willing to write continental philosophy in rhyming quatrains if anyone's going to pay me for that. All right, stay tuned, guys. This may be coming. Anyway, I think there are hints of the dialectical progression of history in that last bit and yeah. sort of throughout this poem that the death of these kids is sort of necessary to move history forward. Yeah. Yeah. And with that, yeah. perhaps we best read this poem again and erase yeah. the fact that I just said all of those things. Yeah. Because, honestly, I think with this poem, like, we can talk about it a lot, but there's nothing more powerful than just reading through it. I mean, that's part of why I selected it. I happened to cross it. Um, yeah. No, I mean, and it it's, was, it's, um, it's written in a... No one can get away with this now in, like, contemporary that poetry. That is a fact, yeah. Because um, it's... It's just hard to make proclamations uh, about things larger than your own self in your own bathtub. Uh, It's where most good poetry happens. (laughs) Bathtubs. Yeah, I mean, at least, yeah. That's the, you know. But I think Hughes Hughes does it very well. And not in a um, reductive sense, which I think is... And it doesn't feel preachy. Right. It, It feels descriptive and emotional yeah. it still feels like he is you know, the, the big challenge that a lot of poems like this run into is that they you know they tell rather than show you what's going on and he at every turn is showing you what's happening rather yeah. than telling you I mean he's saying where the kids will die he's not telling you yeah. you know one story of a kid who died in a specific place he is showing you the, the broader scope yeah alright Kids Who Die by Langston Hughes This is for the kids who die, black and white, for kids will die, certainly. The old and rich will live on a while, as always, eating blood and gold, 
letting kids die. Kids will die in the swamps of Mississippi, organizing sharecroppers. Kids will die in the streets of Chicago, organizing workers. Kids will die in the orange groves of California, telling others to get together. Whites and Filipinos, Negroes and Mexicans, all kinds of kids will die, who don't believe in lies and bribes and contentment and a lousy peace. Of course, the wise and learned, who pen editorials in the papers, and the gentlemen with doctor in front of their names, white and black, who make surveys and write books, will live on, weaving words to smother the kids who die, and the sleazy courts, and the bribe-reaching police, and the blood-loving generals, and the money-loving preachers will all raise their hands against the kids who die, beating them with laws and clubs and bayonets and bullets to frighten the people, for the kids who die are like iron in the blood of the people. And the old and rich don't want the people to taste the iron of the kids who die, don't want the people to get wise to their own power, to believe in Angelo Herndon, or even get together. Listen, kids who die, maybe now there will be no monument for you, except in our hearts. Maybe your bodies will be lost in a swamp, or a prison grave, or a potter's field, or the rivers where you're drowned like Liebknecht. But the day will come. You are sure yourselves that it is coming. When the marching feet of the masses will raise for you a living monument of love and joy and laughter and black hands and white hands clasped as one and a song that reaches the sky, the song of the life triumphant through the kids who die. Thank you so much for tuning in. Remember, you can subscribe to the podcast on the iTunes store. If you like what you hear, leave us a review. If you want to keep up on the latest close-talking news between episodes, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash close-talking. Or you can follow us on Twitter. We are at close-talking. If you have suggestions for poems we should discuss, or thoughts on the kids who die, or any other poems we've already taken on, you can write to us at close talking poetry at gmail.com.